terrible. You don't have to laugh at that. <laughs> it's fine. So uh, we've been doing a series, if you're, if you're just jumping in, it's been called uh, Jesus in His Own Words. And if you're just tuning in on this, basically, let me give you a recap. Really what we're doing, we said, is we're conducting a little bit of an investigation. And that investigation, we said, has been prompted by, uh, by a tension that exists as it relates to Jesus in our culture. And we said our culture is a unique one. 21st century America in our culture today is a very unique position because we said on one hand, we live in what I call a Jesus-saturated culture. Right? So, so we live in a culture today where you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who isn't at least vaguely familiar with the name of Jesus. Most people have heard of the name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus shows up in every major arena in our culture. So in politics, the name of Jesus comes often, often with much controversy, and all of the religions that are, are, uh, that are symbolized in our culture, represented in our culture, the name of Jesus means different things. Even in pop culture, Jesus comes up very often. So we live in, in what I call a Jesus-saturated culture. Yet at the same time, on the other hand, we said that this is where the tension lies, that while it's true we live in a Jesus-saturated culture, we also live in a Jesus-confused culture. And uh, there are so many presentations, so many opinions about Jesus, that for the person that's investigating Christ, and that might be some of you this morning, um, it can be very, very difficult to discern what is the, what is the, the truth about Jesus, who is he for real. And so uh, because of that, we really said, because of this unique tension, we wanted to kind of conduct an investigation together. And this investigation is really primarily concerned with one question. So we said the question that we're asking is not, what does culture say about Jesus? Because once again, when you turn to culture, you're going to get all kinds of different answers to that. Uh, nor are we asking the question, what does religion say about Jesus? Because once again, depending on the religion you turn to, you're going to get a different presentation of Jesus. So the question we've been asking and we've been concerning ourselves with is, what does Jesus say about Jesus? Right? What did he have to say about himself? Or in other words, what does Jesus say in his own words? Let him speak for himself. And so that's what we've been trying to do in this series. So each week what we've been doing, we've been looking at a different claim that Jesus made about himself. And then at the end, we've been asking, okay, if Jesus said that, then what does that mean about Jesus? If it's true, what does that mean about Jesus, right? And consequently, what are the implications for you and I if that is true? So each week, looking at a different claim that Jesus made and then talking about that. So this week, we're going to continue in that investigation. And I encourage you to grab your Bibles with me. We're going to go to John 8 this morning. John chapter 8. We were actually in John 8 last week as well. This week, we're going to look at the second part of John chapter 8. So you can flip there in your Bibles or get there on your smartphones or whatever you want to do to get there. It's fine. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, that's totally fine. We actually have some out there that are available. And you can grab those Bibles and turn to page 746 in those black Bibles. And let me just say this as you're turning there. If you're a guest with us this morning and you just don't own a Bible, like outright just don't own one, would you do me a favor? And would you just take one of the Bibles, put your name in it, make it a gift from us to you. I want you to have a Bible. So happy Mother's Day. Even if you're a dude, it's fine. So just uh, write your name in it and you can take that and get to page 746. Now as you're flipping there, as a way of kind of teeing up this conversation, um, one of the things that we found in the, in, in, uh, in the Bible and also in our culture is that as it relates to the way that we interact with Jesus, as it relates to belief in Jesus, that people don't neatly fall into two categories, right? It's not, it's not simply that like you either believe in Jesus or you don't. But there is, what we found in our culture is that there is a wide spectrum 
wide spectrum of opinion and belief and, and, and uh, understanding of how to interact with Jesus. There's a lot of different categories. So it doesn't fall real neatly into two categories. And, and so let me just show you a few, and this is sort of, sort of a recap for some of us, but let me just show you a few of the major opinions um, I think that, that people have as, as a way, as it relates to interacting with Jesus. So for some people, I would say that they view Jesus, the way they interact with Jesus, is they view Jesus sort of as an enemy, okay? So there are some people in our culture today but the way they interact with Jesus as if he was an enemy. So, so what I mean is they're adverse to Jesus. Um, anytime the Jesus conversation comes up, it's usually met with hostility or aggravation. Um, this can be for a lot of different reasons. A person who views Jesus as an enemy may have had a, a, bad, uh, a, a bad situation happen at church. They may have had a, a difficult upbringing which was related to the things of God. They may have dated someone who said they were a Christian and then broke up with them and blamed it on God or whatever it is. And, and so for whatever reason, this person views Jesus as an enemy. Now, here's the thing. I, I know that um, my guess is that there's probably not very many people in this room today that are of that persuasion. And the reason is because most people who are of that persuasion don't go to church because they're trying to avoid the whole Jesus thing and here at church we're talking about Jesus. But I also believe that there are probably some of you in the room who are of this persuasion that might be here today. And if you are here, my guess is the reason you're here is because it's Mother's Day, and your mom said, one thing I want you to do for Mother's Day is I want you to come church me. And uh, I don't know if your mom sounds like that, by the way. I, she doesn't. <laughs> but uh, so, so you came out because you love her. Now, if that's you, all right, if you're, if you're like, I hate the whole Jesus thing, but I'm coming for my mom, if that's you, let me just say this, kudos to you. All right. I think that is awesome that you love your mom so much that you're willing to endure listening to us talk about Jesus for this long. Okay, so that's great. And I don't care what you believe about Jesus. I'm just happy you're here. All right, so that's great. Uh, so some people say Jesus is an enemy. Some people say that Jesus is an acquaintance. Jesus is an acquaintance, right? So, so think about that for a minute. How do we interact with acquaintances? I have several acquaintances, people that I know by name, but I don't really have a lot of information about. Not enough information to make a judgment call on whether I have positive or negative emotions about them. Just kind of ambivalent, right? And, and so for some of us, this is the way we view Jesus. We're not anti-Jesus. Like, I'm not anti-Jesus, but I'm not like Jesus People USA either. I'm just kind of like, I don't really have enough information to know what I think. If you ask me, do I believe in God or if I believe in Christ, I'd be like, I don't know. I think I'm not against it, you know? Are you a Christian? Maybe. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but I think, yeah, I think, you know, Jesus had some good stuff to say. And, and, and for some of us, we live as if Jesus is an acquaintance. That, that, that means I live my life. Jesus has very little to do with that, um, but, uh, but I'm not anti-Jesus, right? So some of us, he's an enemy. Some of us, Jesus is an acquaintance. Some of us interact with Jesus as an advisor. Jesus as an advisor is basically this. It's I am totally pro-Jesus, love Jesus. And whenever I'm Whenever I'm experiencing a difficult time in my life, I go to Jesus to get wisdom. I, I pray to Jesus when, when someone's sick. When I need something, I'll ask Jesus for his help. I'll come to church because I believe it gives a good moral foundation. You know, Jesus is an advisor in my life, and as I live my life, if I need something or if I need wisdom or good practical advice, I'll go to Jesus and he will supply that for me. And I believe that many people who follow Jesus interact with Jesus this way. Then I'd say there's probably another category. Now, once again, I'm only giving you four. I don't think anything falls this neatly into categories, but just for the sake of our conversation. The fourth one is I think there's people that would say Jesus is king. And the person that says Jesus is king is basically a person that says, Jesus is the one who has direction and authority over my life. He defines and he directs me. So when I get up in the morning, I'm not asking what do I want to do today. I'm asking what does Jesus want me to do today. Um, he has rights over all of my all of my persuasions, over all of my opinions, over all of the everything. He's got complete control over what I do and what I say and what I think. 
right? Now, here's the reason I'm showing this. Like I said, there, I don't think everyone falls neatly into these categories, but here's what I do know. I know that in this room, uh, most likely, all four of those categories are represented here today. And the reason I want to show that to you is for two reasons. Number one is because I wanted you to kind of self-identify. I just wanted to ask you. You don't need to answer me out, out loud or anything. But as you think about your perspective and your interaction with Jesus, where do you tend to fall on this? Which one do you identify with the most? And be honest, because I'm not asking you how do you think you should interact with him. I'm asking you how do you interact with him? Um, is he an enemy? Is he an acquaintance? Is he an advisor? Is he king? Okay? And, and like I said, I don't care where you're at in that spectrum. We're happy that everyone's here, but I just want you to identify that. Now, the second reason I'm asking you that is because I believe that there is a more foundational question that we need to ask, that Jesus himself wants us to ask, before we even talk about how to interact with him. And I believe that this is a question that God is pushing everybody to ask, and my hope is that today, you and I will ask that question, the question that God wants us to ask that's foundational to the way that we interact with him, all right? And what we're about to find in this passage today, as we, we're going to go to John chapter 8, we're going to find that Jesus is actually pushing the audience to ask that question as well. And so here's what's going on. Uh, if you were with us last week, we looked at John chapter 7 and 8. And uh, what happens is there's all these different opinions about Jesus. Every major persuasion that we just showed you is represented um, in John chapter 7. So there's some people that think Jesus is a good teacher. There's some people that think that, you know, he's crazy. There's some people who think he's an enemy. There's some people that think, I don't really know what I think about Jesus. A lot of people on the fence. And so it's in the midst of this situation with all of these different opinions about Jesus that Jesus himself stands up and he begins speaking for himself and trying to tell people who he is. And this starts, we saw last week, it starts a conversation that very quickly turns into a debate, that very quickly turns into an argument. As a matter of fact, I would say that by the time we look at the passage we're going to look at today, this might very well be the most tense interaction that Jesus has with anyone in, in all of Scripture. A very, very tense interaction. It's like a full-blown argument, full-blown fight. And I thought, since it's Mother's Day, Nothing says Happy Mother's Day more than a fight, right? So let's get to it. So um, we're going to pick up it in verse 23. So remember, here's what's going on. Jesus is standing up in the midst of a Jesus-confused culture. Everyone knows who he is. No one can agree on how to interact with him or what he, who he actually is. So Jesus gets up and he starts saying some really, 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 um, really controversial things. So he says stuff like, I am the light of the world. And the Bible says, tension rises. And they're like, what are you talking about? And then he continues speaking. And he says harder things about himself. And tensions rise and they keep rising. And the Bible says that the tension is so high by this point that there are people in the audience who actually want to kill Jesus. People are looking to kill him. This is an angry mob of people. And here we go, verse 23. We watch Jesus, in verse 23, turn up the heat even more. So Jesus says this. He says, but he continued. And amidst this crazy, tense argument, he said, you are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you did not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Now, I don't know about you, but as I was reading this, I thought, Jesus, that's not the smartest thing to say to an angry mob of people that want to kill you. Right? So things are getting tense. Tensions are high. Everyone's like, what is he saying about himself? And rather than scaling back, Jesus actually turns the heat up even more. And he says some more difficult things about himself. So look what he says again. He said, you're from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. 
what? What are, you, what are you talking about, man? Are you saying you're an alien? Is that what you're talking about? You're not of this world? You're from, what is that, right? And as if that's not hard enough, he goes on and he says this. Look what he says in the next part. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So Jesus, like I said, man, rather than scaling back, he, he turns the heat up and he begins to push the envelope more. I want you to notice that in this passage, Jesus is the antagonist. He's the one that's pushing the audience. He's the one that's pushing the envelope. He's the one that's making this conversation and this argument continue. And why is that? That's the question. Why is Jesus, rather than scaling back, turning up the heat on this? And I think the reason that Jesus is doing this, we're going to find this passage, is because he is trying to force these people to ask the right question. For the past seven chapters in the book of John, Jesus has been doing all this stuff, and everyone has been asking the wrong question. And now he's in this argument. No one can agree on who he is. And so Jesus begins to say some difficult things. And why? Because I believe he's trying to push the people to ask the right question. And what is the right question? Well, they actually ask it in verse 25. Here it is. Ready? Who are you? They asked. Who are you? See, here's Jesus. They've seen him teach. They've seen him heal. They've seen him do stuff. And now finally he says some stuff. They're like, man, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm from above, I'm not from the earth. They're like, what are you talking about? He's like, if you don't believe in me, you're going to die in your sins. And they're like, who are you? And you see, I think Jesus, in his mind, probably thought, now we're talking. Now you're asking the right questions. And I believe the reason that Jesus kept pushing the envelope is because he knows what you and I know, and that's this, that you have to ask the big question first, and then all of the little questions will make sense. But if you don't ask the big question then you're going to be confused. And so Jesus is trying to get people to ask the big question. I was thinking about this week, and it reminded me a little bit. When I was a freshman in college, I remember this time when um, I had a mentor of mine, a good friend and a good mentor, and he asked me, uh, he, was, he was working with a ministry, and he asked me if I would help him um, move some items from one storage barn to another storage barn on their property. He said that he, so he called me up. He said, hey, I'm trying to move some stuff for the ministry I work with. I need some manpower. Would you be willing to help? And I said, sure, I'm a man, and I'm powerful. And so I'll be, I don't know, I have no idea what that's all about. So I was like, sure, I'll be there. So I came, I helped him, and there's probably a handful of us there to help move. And, and as I was talking to him and, and the people, he had these two trucks. And one of the trucks was a stick shift. It was a manual, and the other one was not. And no one there felt real comfortable driving a stick, stick shift. So they asked me if I'd be willing to drive the truck. I said, sure, yeah, I have no problem with that. And so we go to the first storage barn, and I'm driving this truck, right? And I back up the truck to the storage barn. Now, the way that the storage barn was set up was actually very inconvenient. There was this, um, there was like a big garage door on the storage barn, and then there was a driveway that went down to the storage barn, but it was on a very, very steep decline, very poorly designed. And so I, I'm backing the truck up, right? So I'm backing this thing up, and I'm looking at my mirrors. I have my friends in the mirrors trying to, you know, tell me when to stop. So I'm watching them, and I finally stop the truck, and I put it in park, and I get out, and it's on this very, very steep decline, right? And so we start loading the truck up, and, and it's very difficult because it's on this decline, but we finally get everything in there. I mean, we fully load this thing, right? So we fully load this truck. It's really, really heavy. Well, when I got back in the truck, I was, I, I was like, man, you know what? I wish I would have parked a little bit further away from the storage barn because you guys, I had very like, probably like a few inches of space before the, like between the storage barn and the truck. And, and you guys know if you drive stick shift, right, that whenever you do that transition from clutch to gas, there's always a, a tendency for the thing to roll backwards if you don't do it real quick. 
And so I was real nervous because I'm like, this is a fully loaded truck, and you know, I gotta, I gotta make sure that I can do the transition from clutch to gas. I don't want to roll backwards and hit the, and hit the garage door. So I kind of gotta do this thing fast. So I, so I got in the truck. And I was getting ready, and I was like really, really nervous about rolling backwards. So I thought to myself, okay, how, what am I going to do? So I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to let off the emergency brake. I have one foot on the, the brake, one foot on the clutch. And I was like, and then what I'm going to do is, uh, as quickly as I can, I'm going to let off the emergency brake, I'm going to take my foot off the, 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 the brake, and then, and then as fast as I can, I'm going to punch the gas pedal as hard as I can, take my foot off the clutch. Because I knew if I don't do this, I'm going to roll backwards, and I'm going to hit the garage door. So I'm getting ready looking at all my mirrors, I'm checking everything out, looking at my friends, they're all giving me the thumbs up. I got like everything, I'm like, and I'm trying to psych myself out because I don't want to roll backwards. So I'm like, okay, here we go, man, as fast as you can. You ready? And so finally, I mustered up the courage to do it. I was like, one, two, three, and I took off the emergency brake, slammed on the gas. Now, before I go forward with this story, <laughs> let me just tell you something, okay? That transition I made between the clutch and the gas was perfect. I mean seamless. I totally nailed it. There's only one problem, and it was this. I was in the wrong gear. And when I say the wrong gear, I don't mean second or third or fourth or even fifth. No, no, no. Now you see, when I had parked the truck, I had forgotten to take the truck out of reverse. So I slammed the gas down and went full speed backwards into, and I just thought, that had to have looked awesome, you know? And uh, so I get out of the truck. I just, I mean, I am just like beat red, total like embarrassment, walk of shame. I come out and all my friends are just like, you are an idiot. It's like, yeah, I'll pay for it. You know? And it was just this terrible, terrible. But why am I telling you? I'm telling you that for this. I was so focused on the details of getting it right and making sure I had everything that I had forgotten to ask the bigger question, the biggest question. What was the big question? It was, are you in the right gear? Because if I didn't have that question right, all the other questions didn't matter, right? Now listen, Jesus is trying to force people to ask the right question. And for the past seven chapters in the Gospel of John, everyone's been asking the wrong questions, right? So Jesus, the Bible says, he heals a man on the Sabbath. And everyone starts arguing about whether or not you can heal someone on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, wrong question. Wrong question. Jesus, the Bible says, he heals a man who is born blind. And everyone's arguing about whether the, the boy sinned or his parents sinned. Who sinned to make him blind? And Jesus is like, wrong question. It's a secondary question. You're not asking the first question. Jesus feeds a group of over 5,000 people by multiplying one little boy's lunch. And the question everyone has is, when are you going to do it again? And Jesus is saying, man, wrong question. You're asking the second question. Ask the first question. And what's the first question? Here's the first question. Who are you? Who has the ability to heal somebody? That's the question you should ask when someone heals somebody. Who has the ability to multiply one little boy's lunch and feed this enormous crowd? That's the question you should be asking, but no one is asking the question. And so there's all this argument and there's all this debate about who Jesus is, and Jesus stands up and he begins pushing the envelope and pushing the envelope and pushing the envelope, and why does he do that? Because he wants people to ask the right question. And finally they ask it, who is Jesus? And I think Jesus is thinking, now we're talking. Now we're talking. See, here's the thing about us, you guys. Sometimes I think you and I, we spend a lot of our time 
a lot of our energy, a lot of our worry, a lot of our anxiety on the wrong questions. We spend a lot of time and energy on the secondary questions, but we have not dealt with the first question, the primary question. I believe that in the same way that Jesus is pushing this audience to ask the question, he is pushing you and I to ask it as well. Who is Jesus? See, some of us are like, what is, it, what is the meaning of true happiness in life? How do, I, how do I find true fulfillment and success in this life? It's a great question. It's just a secondary question. Ask the first question first, because the way you answer the first question will greatly determine how you answer the second question. Right? Some of you are like, man, I'm having a hard time with my marriage, man. We're really, really struggling, and I'm not sure what to do. What am I supposed to do? Well, ask. It's a great question. It's a secondary question. Ask the first question. Because the answer to the first question is, great, is going to greatly determine the actions you take on the second question. Some of you right now, you're facing terminal illness, or you have a loved one that's facing terminal illness, and you're trying to figure out, how do I find hope in this situation? How do I deal with the big questions about what happens to me after I die, and how do we deal with all of this? And listen, you're asking a great question, but look, it's a secondary question. Because how you answer that first question is going to greatly determine how you walk through that season in the second part. For some of you right now, you're in a hopeless situation, you're trying to find hope, and you just can't find it. Well, listen, you're asking a, a secondary question. Ask the primary question. Because if you answer the question, who is Jesus, if, if what you find is that what he says is true about himself, it greatly changes the way that you answer all those other questions. And so Jesus pushes these guys, man. He pushes them, and he pushes them, and he pushes them until finally they ask the right question. And Jesus is saying, yeah, okay, now we're talking. And he begins to answer them. And here's what I want you to notice. In the, in the rest of part of the passage, I'll just kind of summarize for you what happens next because there's more argument. And so Jesus starts to try to explain himself. He, says, he starts to try to tell them who he is. So he says things like, I am from God. I've been sent here by God. He says, I am the truth, and if, you, and if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. He says all this stuff, and the Bible tells us that the people still don't understand him. And they're getting more and more aggravated, more and more frustrated, and Jesus just keeps turning up the heat. He keeps saying more, uh, more scandalous, more controversial things about himself until kind of it all comes to a head in verse 48. So look at verse 48 with me. Jump over there real quick. So the Jews answered him. They continued in this conversation. After hearing Jesus saying these ridiculous things about himself, they said, aren't you a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Which, by the way, that's just an awesome question. Is it? Who asks a question like that? Is that an accusation or a question? Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I love that. But here's what they're saying. They're like, man, the stuff you're saying, you're from above, you're not from below. We have to believe in you to have eternal life. God is the one who sent you here. They're like, man, you must be demon-possessed, which, by the way, that can be taken two ways. Either, number one, they're saying, you are delusional, man. You are mentally unstable to say these things. Anyone who comes into a room and says, hey, you know what? You guys are from Earth, but I'm not from Earth. I'm from Heaven. You're like, you're crazy. So like, either you're delusional, or second, you're deranged. You are a criminal, evil person who is deceiving other people on purpose. And so either way, they're like, there's clearly what you're teaching is so controversial. You have to be demon-possessed. Now, things are really starting to heat up here. Check this out. Verse 49, I am not possessed by a demon, Jesus said, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Look at this next thing he says. Man, this is crazy. Who says this stuff about himself? Very truly, I tell you, 
whoever obeys my word will never see death. Man, who says something like that? Who said, I mean, like, love one another? Okay, okay, great, great, right? Like, like, I've come not to judge the world, but to save the world. Awesome, we love that. Go the extra mile. Some of you are like, that's from the Bible? Yeah, totally. Jesus said, if someone asks you to carry something for one mile, go another mile with it. That came from Jesus. You're like, wow, I didn't know that. Now you know the Bible. And, and so we like that stuff, right? But then what about this? Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. What? Watch their response in verse 52. At this they exclaimed, right, now we're yelling. I mean, now we're getting into it. This argument is heating up. They exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. So here's what they're saying, right? They're like, now hold it, man. You said that if we believe in you, then we will never see death. They're like, do you think you're better than Abraham? Which, by the way, some of you know this. Abraham was the, the forefather of the Jewish religion. He lived thousands of years before this, right? And everyone loved Abraham. He was an icon to the Jewish people. He was the OJ, man. He was the original Jew, right? So people love this guy. And so they're like, man, OJ, you know, I got this guy about Abraham. He's awesome. Some of you guys just got that. That's good. And uh, so they're like, lo everyone loved him worshipped Abraham. And so now Jesus comes on the scene and he says, listen, if you obey my teaching, you will never die. You will never see death, meaning you will defeat death. And they're like, now hold it minute. You're telling me, you're telling me that you're better than Abraham because Abraham is the founder of our faith and even he died. And you're saying if we believe in you, we'll defeat death. Is that what you're saying? You're better than Abraham? Look at Jesus' response. He said, Jesus replied to these guys, Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Or I'm sorry, let me go back real quick. Verse 53, are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. And then they asked that question again, the question that Jesus has been pushing them to ask, who do you think you are? And like I said, I believe that's the question he's pushing all of us to ask. Here's his response, verse 54, Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, who you claim as your God, just stop there for a minute. He just said, my Father is God. Once again, just the craziness of the things that Jesus is saying here. He's like, he is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. <sighs> Some people are like, Jesus said that? Yeah. Like, I thought he was all like butterflies and cupcakes and stuff. Not all the time, you know? He's like, I would be a liar like you're a liar if I said that. He says, but I do know him and I obey his word. Now watch this, this is so crazy. Look at verse 56. Your father Abraham, you know the guy we keep talking about the thousands of years ago, the founder of the Jewish faith, Abraham? Yeah, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. What? Yeah. He's like, you know, you know Abraham? You know the founder of the faith? Thousands? Yeah, you know him? Yeah, yeah, we're like this. I know Abraham. In fact, you know what? He, saw, he rejoiced at my day. He saw it. He saw my day, and he was glad about it. He was happy. And these people hear this, and they become livid. Look what they say. 
You're not even 50 years old, they said to him. And you see Abraham? They're like, man, you're, like, you're in your 30s. And you're telling us that you know Abraham, thousands of years ago, founder of our faith. They are frustrated now with Jesus. Now Jesus is about to say, I believe, the most powerful thing he's ever said about himself. This, this right here, the next verse we're about to look at, is the drop the mic like moment, right? So you ready for it? All right, buckle up. Here it is, ready? I don't, I don't know how he said it, but I think it was probably something like this. Verse 58. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Who says that? Who says that? He's like, they're like, we believe in you, we're not going to taste death. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Are you better than Abraham? He's like, oh, Abraham? Yeah, I know him. Yeah, we're buddies. He rejoiced to see my day. Wait, you're not even 50 years old, and you know, you've seen Abraham. You've hung out with Abraham. Oh, yeah, yeah. Before Abraham was even born, I am. And some of you are like, what does that even mean? That's not even proper grammar, Jesus. <laughs> what is that? Well, Listen, let me tell you what Jesus was doing because the audience, they would have totally known, they would have been completely aware of what Jesus was saying here. Because what Jesus was doing is he was actually referring back to a title that was used by Moses, that was used in Moses' time. In fact, uh, in, uh, in Exodus chapter 3, in fact, if you want to put that up on the PowerPoint, this, by the way, should be Exodus 3, not 13. It's my mistake. Exodus 3, 13 to 14. Some of you might remember God appeared to Moses, right, in a burning bush, and he told him, I want you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And so the, the God is speaking with Moses, and Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites, and you say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what, if, what, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? So Moses says, what's your name, God? What, what should I call you? What should I tell them your name is? Watch this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you to them. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's saying, my name is I am. And that, by the way, for the Jewish people, would have been the sacred name Yahweh that was used all throughout the Old Testament as the claim of God. And so Jesus stands up, and they finally, Jesus forces them to ask the question. And they finally ask, who are you? And he says, before Abraham was even born, I am. Not I was, not I will be. I am. I am the preexistent, uncaused one. I am the creator himself. I, this is what Jesus is saying, flat out, and they would have understood it. I am God. I am God. And the reason we know that they, they knew what he was talking about is because of their response. Take a look at their response in verse 59. This is verse 59. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. Why did they do that? Because the form of punishment for a person that blasphemed and called themselves God was to be executed by stoning. So what were they doing? They realized what Jesus just said. He said he was God. So they picked up stones to stone him. Now watch this next part. This is crazy. But Jesus hid himself from a giant crowd of people who were ready to stone him, an angry mob. He hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So get this. Jesus makes that drop-the-mic statement. He's like, before Abraham was born, I am. And then everyone's like, kill him. And, and, and the time that it takes them to bend down and grab the stone and get back up, he's gone. How do you do that? Now, I'm just going, this is my guess. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I'm guessing he went in stealth mode. You know, <laughs> Jesus was like, you know, 
was kind of, I don't know. I don't know what that noise was either. And the fingers, what was it with the fingers? Good stuff. But listen, here you have it, man. Here you got this passage, right? And in this passage, you have all these opinions and these arguments about who Jesus is, disagreements about how to interact with Jesus. Jesus gets up and he pushes this confused audience. He pushes this diverse audience to a decision point. And he says, listen, I, I need to get down to the bottom line. And you need to ask the first question. Let's not get caught up in the secondary questions. Ask the question. And the question is, who is Jesus? Who is he? And, and listen, for you and I, for some of us in this room right now, like I said, there's a lot of us. We have different opinions. Some of you view Jesus as an enemy. Some of you view him as an acquaintance. Some of you view him as an advisor. Some of you view him as king. But listen, I'm just telling you that in the same way that Jesus pushed this audience, I believe he's pushing you and I as well. Because Jesus doesn't want us on the fence. He doesn't. And so he makes these polarizing statements as a way of taking us out and making us ask the big question. Who is Jesus? Because either you crown him as king or you kill him. But there really is, if you're with intellectual integrity, there is no middle ground. A guy that says stuff like he said... You can't just accept him as a good teacher. You just can't. Like, like, listen, if you came in today to hear me teach, and let's say you walked in, and I got up, and I was like, hey, guys, good morning, happy Mother's Day. Just a few thoughts for you. Uh, first and foremost, I am the one that caused the universe, so just so you know that. And, uh, and also, it, your, your state of eternal existence depends on your relationship with me. So if you come to me and you believe in me, then, that's, then you'll have that. And by the way, I am preexistent. I've always been, and I always will be. And, uh, and let's pray. Amen. Let's get the band to get up here. And let's say that happened, all right? Now, let me guarantee you what's going to happen. You are not going to walk, and by the way, I'm not saying any of that. Just keep that clear. If you, let's say that you walk out of this room. Let me guarantee one thing that's not going to happen. You're not going to walk out and say, wow, that guy was a good teacher. What a great illustration. You're not going to say that, right? You're, you're going to be pushed to a crisis point. You're going to say either he's insane, which I would be if I said that, and he needs to be snuffed out and quieted at all costs, or he needs to be embraced. Either crown him or kill him. And Jesus pushes people to this decision point. So what do you and I, what do we do with a message like this? What do we do with this incredible truth that Jesus says here? If that's what Jesus said in his own words, then what response is elicited? Well, I think it depends on, I think it depends on how you view Jesus, really. So for, for some of us today, we view Jesus as an advisor in our lives. We go to Jesus when we need something. We go to Jesus when, when, when someone's sick. We pray to him. That's awesome. That's fine. But listen, let me just tell you this. If this is true about Jesus, if Jesus is the one who created the universe, and not just a moral teacher, not just a guy that's got some good theories on life, if he really is the one who before Abraham was born, he was, if that's him, I am, if he's Yahweh, then this is not the kind of guy that you ask to be your assistant. Right? You need to take your limits off of your allegiance. Because you, you, don't, you don't come to God and say, you do this and I do this. No, you come to a guy like this and you say, you command me. You tell me. I'm not waking up asking, um, what am I going to do? If this is true about you, Jesus, I am waking up asking, what do you want me to do? You command me. You guide me. If it's true about Jesus, take the limits off of your allegiance. For some of us who follow Jesus, we deal with Jesus like an advisor. And he's, he's saying, and Jesus is saying, I'm pushing you. And I'm pushing you to a point of decision to say that you can't simply accept me that way. That there's more to me than that. Right? For some of you this morning, you're in a place where maybe you're on the fence. 
Maybe for you, Jesus is, is either an acquaintance or maybe even an enemy for you, but you're on the fence about the whole thing. And if that's, the, if that's the case, if you're like, I still have a lot of questions, I don't really know what I think about Jesus. And, and honestly, this conversation is riveting to me, but I'm not entirely sure where I stand because I'm not ready to embrace him as Lord. I'm not ready to crown him as king, but I'm also not ready to dismiss him as a demon either. I'm not willing to, to kill him off either, right? And you're like, I'm kind of sitting on the fence. Well, let me just tell you this much, okay? Jesus, just like with these people, Jesus wants you off the fence. And, and, and cause sit, we all know this, sitting on a fence is a very uncomfortable position, right? Don't think about that very long, but it is, right? And, and so Jesus is always, in the Bible, he is always pushing people to, to have the conversation and to ask the bigger question, who is he, right? And I believe he's doing the same thing. If you're on the fence, let me give you one consideration and one suggestion. Okay, so here's a consideration for you. I just want you to consider for a fact that Jesus is very unique. There have been other people all throughout history who have claimed the same things that Jesus have, right? We've seen a lot of crazy people who have said, I am God, I am the Messiah, I have come to do these things, right? But Jesus is unique, and here's why. Jesus' Jesus's teaching is profoundly egocentric. Think about it. It is profoundly egocentric. Jesus says stuff like, in order for you to get to God, you have to come to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to God but through me. That's a very egocentric statement. Jesus says, um, says things like, before Abraham was, I am. I am. I am. That's a very egocentric statement. Jesus says things like, I am the light of the world, and if you don't follow me, you walk in darkness. These are very egocentric things. Jesus said, I am the life. Very egocentric things. But here's the crazy thing about Jesus. While his teaching was crazy, crazy egocentric, his lifestyle was not. Jesus lived a life for others. He served others. He gave of himself. He never leveraged that power for personal gain. Never. He never accumulated money for himself. The Bible says that he, he said, the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. I'm homeless, is what he said. Jesus, Jesus never accumulated for him. He never used that power to leverage personal gain, worldly gain for himself. But instead, he always poured it out for the sake of others. The Bible tells us that his last moments before he, he went to his death, he washed his disciples' feet. Other people who have claimed those things, I am God, those egocentric claims, they also lived egocentric lives. They used people, they manipulated people, they said, I am God, therefore give me all your money. They said, I am God, therefore I can have as many wives for myself as I want to. They said, I am God, therefore come to me, and then we've seen, history has shown time and time again, they've led people into mass suicide. Crazy things have happened. But yet here you have Jesus who's claiming these things about himself. And my guess is, maybe for you, you're not ready to embrace him as Lord, but you're not ready to dismiss him as a demon either. Because can a delusional man teach the way Jesus did? Can a delusional man love the way Christ did? Listen, can a deranged person transform lives the way that Jesus Christ has transformed so many and still does? And listen, I just want you to consider the uniqueness of Christ. And here's my suggestion. So that's just one consideration, and here's my suggestion. My suggestion to you is that if you're on the fence, that you need to resolve that question, who is Jesus? Don't let it go. Don't let that question go and, and busy your life with all of the other smaller questions. Deal with that one question. If you don't have answers, go find them, right? If you don't take my word for it, which I would actually encourage you, don't take my word for it. Go press into this yourself, right? I would challenge you to go talk to people who are smarter than me. There's a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me. All of our life group leaders, for example, are a lot smarter than me. Now, I will be honest, you'll be hard-pressed to find someone more attractive than me. And that's just, that's just true, all right? But, but there's a lot... 
navigate, go through that, but don't stay on the fence. Right? If Jesus is who he said he is, then this is the most important question you can ever ask. Lastly, for some of you, you've been flirting with Jesus for a long time. You've been kind of dancing around the whole Jesus thing, and you've been like, oh, I don't really know what I think, and one day you want to serve him, and one day you don't, and you're all over the place, but you've never made a decision. Listen, I believe that Jesus is pushing you to that decision. And the decision you need to make is either I crown him or I kill him. For some of you this morning, for the first time, maybe you want to make a decision where you say, I will crown him. I believe what he says about himself. And because he said this, that means that he needs to determine and dictate my life. He needs to define and direct it. If you want to make that decision this morning, you can. And here's how you do it. It's no tricky prayer. There's nothing crazy you have to do. You don't have to sacrifice any small animals. The way you do it is just real quickly between your heart and God's heart. Just pray. Say, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are who you said you are. And I crown you as the Lord of my life. And I, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'll follow you. I believe you about what you said. And you can pray that as we worship and sing, maybe even for the first time in your life that you ever have, pray to God and ask him to be the king of your soul. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so good to us, and your word is, Lord, it's refreshing this morning, but it's also convicting and challenging, and it's hard. Jesus, you said some awesome stuff. Your teaching is so life-giving. Think about, think about some of the, the crazy words that you said, like love your enemies. It's so life-giving. It's so beautiful. You said things like if you find your life or if you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it, but if you lose your life, you'll find it. And God, there's so, so much profound truth in the things you said. You were an awesome teacher. But yet, Jesus, on the same token, some of the things you said about yourself are just hard, just hard. You came from the Father. You, you're the preexistent one. You are I am. Yeah, those are hard statements for, for us to digest, but I do believe that if it is true, or that we have to call you king. We have to. Or dismiss you totally outright. So I pray that today you would move in our hearts, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help us to understand, reveal yourself to us as I am. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.